all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. I apologize for the delay in getting this podcast out to you. Normally, it should have been released on a Sunday, but this Sunday, January 20th, was my first ever live audience recording of the Closure Optional podcast, where I interviewed Ben Johnston, who is the current WBC world champion. And uh, yeah, I just did not plan ahead enough to do this podcast and that podcast in the same day. And I was confused about how to, you know, promote it on social media. I was afraid that Nick was going to get left behind because this is a really fun conversation. And uh, Nick is such an interesting person that um, with all the chaos yesterday, I didn't want to um, omit him and all the goodness that happened in this conversation by dulling it down because of all the other chaos. So you get what I've you get what I mean. All right, everybody. I'm sorry for the delay, but here it is. This is a wonderful conversation with my friend, Nick Sun, who is a, well, he was a comedian. He was a comedian for 13 years, and then he started getting angry at comedy. And so I would call him now like a, a, train, a shaman in training, but I don't know if he'd like that. Either way, he's a totally... A uh, unique and interesting person. I said so in the podcast, and uh, he agreed with me. He's probably the best comedian I've ever seen, the worst comedian I've ever seen, and somebody that you really just cannot put into a box. So this is a great conversation about some indigenous cultures' methods of dealing with the human psyche, how you can get trapped in the prison of your own mind, and different logical tactics on ways to get out of your mind so that you can do better and achieve what you're hoping to achieve and stop fucking sabotaging yourself. Well, you're still going to sabotage yourself. I mean, come on, let's be honest, you're human. But maybe soon you can take away some practical advice uh, from our friend Nick. Uh, thank you again to everybody that came out to the live podcast. Uh, it was such a great day. That uh, episode will be released next week, uh, episode 41, next Sunday. And until then, enjoy this conversation. I'll talk to you again soon. Hi, Nick. Hi. Welcome Buona. to my shed. <laughs> you forget my name for a second. <laughs> I did. I had, a, I had a brain fart. I've been lying in the sun. I feel kind of pretty vague. What, are you just trying to preemptively excuse yourself for this podcast, aren't you? No, no, I'm just trying to... Um, Call my mental state. <laughs> It'll warm up. Call it like it is. We should have done it in the car. I was, I was, I was good then. Yeah, yeah. But no, really no, no. Let's point. not, let's not sabotage it this early. On. <laughs> It'll be fine, listener. <laughs> listener, stick with us. You stick with us. Or we'll do bad stuff to you. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna open them up. We're gonna, op- we're gonna crack open somebody's brain today. If they want to be cracked open. Yeah. Consensually. Consensually only. Yeah. Um, you're a fucking enigma, man. I don't, I've never met anybody like you in my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Well, I've worked hard at, um, actually, I haven't really worked hard at all. I don't know. I think, I think I just, um, you live enough lifetimes. <laughs> I'm starting to believe in reincarnation. I think I just got sick of doing a lot of other stuff. Yeah. 
But also what I did was I closed a full exit strategy, so there's no, you can't go back after a while. Yeah, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by like, closed Well, off I dropped out of uni and went to clown school, and then I dropped out of clown school, and then I was a comedian for 13 years, and then, you know, you don't have any, you have like a 10-year gap on your CV, no one wants to employ you, you have no yeah, qualifications, you, you don't live anywhere, and then you're like, all right, let's let's uh, let's just let's just follow this track to wherever it leads to. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I guess it leads to some pretty weird places. I think mainly the thing is not working, really, because then you have a lot of time for yourself to, you know, yeah. start exploring your idiosyncrasies or whatever weird avenues of study you want to do, and then eventually you're, you can't really relate to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> eventually you end up in a cabin in the woods. <laughs> That's happened several times to me a lot over the last two years. Many cabins. Sometimes there was no cabin. Sometimes it was just the woods. So... <laughs> But um, I think it should be done by everyone, really. Yeah, man. Mm. Well, that's a cool. Uh, that's a cool idea. I mean, that the whole thing that stops most people. I I, I know my own se- my own self personally is like every time I try to get out on one of these little tracks, like I'm like, oh, I want to live a creative life. I want to make artwork. I got to go do that. And then I'll just be like, fuck it. I'm quitting my job. I'm quitting everything. I'm just going to go and make artwork in my garage. Mm. And I do it for a little while and then I get a bit lonely, get a bit self-doubt. Nobody's really paying attention to me anymore. You know, I don't feel like my artwork's really connecting to anybody. I'm not really making anything. And then that creeping sensation comes back and I go, oh, fuck it. I'll just get an admin job for a while. Oh, yeah, <laughs> And then yeah. I go back and I'm like, fuck, why did I do that? Because then after eight months of being in an admin job, I'm, I won't fucking shoot myself. And then it's like, why did I give up on myself again? Well, I don't know. I think if people are supposed to do whatever they're supposed to do, then they have to do it. And there's there's no middle ground, you know? So yeah. if you have to write or you have to make art, you will do that regardless. And if you're stranded halfway, then maybe you're not meant to do it. Yeah. Do you know that's one of the most depressing thoughts that I can ever have? Like when I, when I think it's liberating. <laughs> No, I mean the thought that like, oh, I'm not meant to do that. That you think that's liberating? Well, I think there's there's so much choice sometimes, and and that's a, choice is a prison, a different kind of prison. Yeah, you know? I guess so. They and paralysis. Yeah, it's just paralysis. You're like, fuck, should I do this? And then I'm kind of liking that my choices are getting narrowed. The older you get, you know, you've closed off too many escape routes, and then you're like, fuck, I guess this is what I have to succeed at, or. Yeah, there's nothing Fail else. horribly. <laughs> <laughs> and live a life of regret. Yeah, I can't do that, man. I, I, I think I've had that, that kind of like fallback too many times where I've gone to work on something mm. I cared about and then gone back to admin and then been like, no, 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 I'm really going to do it this time and then been like, nah, 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 I'll go back and have a shit job for a while and make some money. Maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe someone mm. else can tell me how to do it. And I think I've done it too many times to, to this last time where I got to a point where I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to do something, yeah. and I don't know what it is, but I'm just going. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. And, and it just... feels a bit... I, I guess I understand now. Yeah, like I, I probably... It's my ego saying, no, I am an artist, but I'm not really, am I? Because I'm not making art. Well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Are you? I mean, do you have to be an artist to be commercially successful? Um, I, I've, I don't know. It just sounds like uh, it's like the mind is just getting in the way and stuff. I don't mm. know. But... um. I mean, a lot of artists were, had jobs and they didn't even get discovered until they died and left a treasure trove of work behind, right? That's happened to several people. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, I don't know. I, I think I just got tired of thinking a lot and it's just really tiresome now. So, so yeah, 
also it's really hot here, so I'm just like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it, whatever. I'm just going to go lay in the ocean. Yeah, I worry more when I'm cold, when I'm in a cold climate. Yeah, like I have you more have to... energy to burn. So I'm like, fuck, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? And then if I'm if I'm quite hot and exhausted, I'm like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, doesn't yeah. matter, dude. That's an interesting idea. Joe Rogan, I think, said this on a podcast once that his theory was that intense creativity comes out of like miserable places because people are just forced. They've got they're just stuck inside, cold and tired and miserable, and so they have to go inside themselves and come up with something crazy to entertain themselves, and that's how they end up making amazing artwork or incredible songs or whatever. They usually also end up killing themselves at some point, but mm, I, I think so. I think I think a lot of people kill themselves because they mind. That's my my sort of conclusion at this point. Like I don't know, my recent experiences have all been to do with how much the mind can often be your worst enemy and. It serves you in many different ways, but like I was thinking, you know, a lot, a lot of famous authors end up killing themselves because they have these amazing brains which can create these really complex storylines, but then they're trapped in that fucking mindset all the time. Yeah, That man. strands in between, you know, hope and fear and the future and the past and sorrows and regret, and then they can't get into the present. And then in the end, the mind's just like, kill yourself because it's well, a way out. It almost, it's, it's almost like if you can imagine like the lines in a in a book, like writing these lines in a book, when I have those thought lines inside my head, they feel like a matrix building itself around me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, and when, and I've had this thought before when I um, was drinking all the time and I was having, you know, lots of panic and lots of anxiety and really kind of, I've thought yeah. that I was losing my fucking mind. I'd have these moments where I could, I felt like thoughts inside my head felt like metal. They were okay. metallic. There was this like clanking of metallic words and letters in my head that made too much noise yeah yeah and the only thing that would stop it was just drinking. deep breathing <laughs> yeah drinking yeah yeah, crack. yeah. i know what you, I, I know what you mean like I, I, I don't get the metallic but it's this like it almost smells like burning wires yeah <laughs> you know wow. what I mean? yeah like man. You're, you're, you're too cerebral and it like i wouldn't say it hurts but it's like that kind of mind-numbing boredom that is like painful in a way Mm. It, well, it sounds, it feels almost like static to me, but it's like denser than static. Mm. It's thick and heavy and it's just like noise in my head. And the only thing that I, I can find to stop it, obviously, besides drinking was get breathing. Punched in the head. Yeah. And now I get punched <laughs> in the head and that stops it. It's breathing. Yeah. Yeah. And a doctor, actually an amazing doctor that I went and saw, um, when I was in Margaret River, she, instead of like she did prescribe me Valium at one point and then they were talking about different things that they could do, brain scans and stuff. But she was like, have you tried breathing? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I think so. I do it pretty naturally. And she's like, no, no, no. I mean, here, try this exercise. Like a proper, she gave me kind of like a pranayama style, yeah, like yeah. breathe in, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold out for four, breathe in for four. And just by doing that, anytime I started feeling that panic, I'd do what she said and it would mm. kind of like... It slowed everything down. Well, breath controls the mind. That's one of the basic yoga principles. So if you're having a panic attack, you're like, <laughs> you're breathing like that. So it's just cutting the loop from the other direction. Huh. So if you slow down your breath and your mind calms down. Why are those two things connected, do you know? Um, I know that in the Ayurvedic system, the mind is associated with the element of air. Huh, okay, like thoughts are like air. That yeah, thoughts are like air very quick. And if you're an airy person, then you know, you're up in the clouds, your mind's, you know... Huh. That's interesting. And Flying so about. the opposite to that is grounding. Uh, yeah, earth, I guess. Well, not the opposite, but the balance for it, I'd say. Um, and is there a, can you be too earth? 
Like, can you be yeah, too yeah, grounded? Yeah, you, you, you know, you meet those people. They're very materialistic. They have no insight. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, like, not very open spiritually. Yeah, yeah. You can have imbalance in any direction, I think. I imagine, like, a tradie at the pub drinking beer on a Friday afternoon or something. Yeah. We never underestimate tradies. I've met some very spiritual bogans recently. Yeah, wow. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, so you're sort of stereotypical, thick set, yeah, stuck yeah. down. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. So, yeah, I'd say those guys are pretty earthy. And our job, in order to, like, figure out how to be the best version of you, the job is to find the balance between those two, huh? No, well, uh, I mean, following the elemental sort of uh, paradigm, you'd have to find a balance between all the elements, air, fire, water, ether. What's fire? Fire is... Um, what is fire? I guess drive. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, like your ambition? Willpower. Wow. Um, okay. Water's emotions. Mm. See, I found that I'm too much in air and water, so now I'm working on earth and fire. What are your dominant emotions? Um, uh, I don't know. Elitism? <laughs> what, think, <laughs> thinking you're better than everyone? <laughs> As a, as a, yeah, probably. Well, if you get too airy, you can become narcissistic, narcissistic definitely. Yeah. I see okay. narcissism as an extreme uh, concentration of energy in the sort of huh. upper mind region. And then that leads to sort of egomania, all that sort of shit, and inability to empathize with other people. And so I've seen that in people, just too much energy up in the head area. And yeah. You have to pull all the energy back down. But I'd say most people in the West are yeah, up like in the head egomaniac. Narcissistic people, it's just self-indulgent. Definitely, I, I you can mm. see that a lot. Like I find it, it's hard um, to even myself to talk to other people through my own self because I'm too aware that my own self is there mm. watching myself, being like, "Wow, that sounds horrible." Yeah, it's a fucking. <laughs> oh, it's you know, it's like that. That you should try for passionate then. Yeah, I've heard of. I've heard about. It, and I've. I think that will be a thing I do this year. It's definitely. I don't know because that just forces you to face your mind in all its fucking boredom. God damn. And and that it's it's really it can be really horrible and hard sometimes. Same thing with psychedelics and stuff like that. Do similar, yeah, similar when I had that acacia man, my I I remember distinctly hearing my brain on a loop just mm. saying and it was like, see, here's that same thought again. See here, this is the, mm. this is what your brain does. This is it yeah. doing it again and it's again. Trying to tie you out. Yeah, and it was just exhausting. It was just like on a on like a car on a racetrack. The thought just well, it, more than anything, it was like um you imagine those like flying airplanes with a banner behind it. Oh, it was yeah. just doing loops in my head, and the banner would come like, "Here's the thought, here's yeah, the thought." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, and, and I remember distinctly just laying there, being like, "Jesus, you are exhausting." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, mind Lorna, really this exhausting. mind, you are exhausting. And I'm starting to view the mind as some kind of parasite, really. Yeah, hey, it feels a bit like that. It just feeds off you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do we develop that? Like, um, like, do you think we're born with a mind that's a parasite, or does it come over well, time? I, I don't know, because uh, I feel like a lot of indigenous cultures they don't have mind-centered consciousness. If you ask, if you ask any indigenous like tribe, well, most of them, to my knowledge, if you go, "Where's your seat of the soul consciousness?" They'll point to their heart area, yeah, or perhaps their stomach area in some. And then if you point to Western person, they'll always point to their head. So I think it's some kind of weird um, growth. Uh, from Western society, which I believe is possibly some kind of mass parasitic infection. <laughs> <laughs> this is Honestly, a conspiracy theory of yours, eh? Well, I don't think it's a conspiracy at all. <laughs> Not at all. 
It, no. I, I mean, so do you think, like, if you could trace it back, how far back into Western society does this thing exist? I don't know. I was rec- I have. I ordered a book called Wetico, and so Wetico is this idea of this parasite. Um, which controls ego and greed and acquisition because a lot of ego depends on um, ownership. Having stuff. So yeah. uh, this writer reckons that uh, Wetico is a Native American term for this parasite and it's basically taken over Western culture and is running the, gra- uh, the, the, the world into the ground right now with capitalism, consumerism and the complete destruction of all natural resources. Yeah. Uh, fueling this kind of psychopathological state of uh, endless acquisition and, and materialism. Yeah. So I haven't fully, I haven't read the book yet because I was, came in the mail when I left. Um, so yeah, I don't know when it came about, but I think it started happening um, 1948. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think when the, the birth of the Western sort of period, I think. And I think it's been a slow progress. Um, and I feel like there's a, a range of conditions which help this mind parasite grow. Well, like, so, I mean, if we could trace it back, like, in Europe, we've been, the British people have been taking over, like, acquiring land, but the Romans were doing it, too, before then. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think think, um, it was probably when men became, uh, man started viewing himself as separate from nature. I reckon that's when it started coming in. Was that, like, agriculture stage? I have no idea. Even then, I think it probably started with the destruction of pagan cultures or non, maybe with the birth of a quote unquote Christianity, because I don't really believe that um, Christianity is based in Jesus Christ's original teachings. Not that teachings, not that I really studied it, but it's, you know, it's an organized religion. But I felt what it did was uh, to sever everyone's connection from nature. And then. Yeah, put it into this human like God. Yeah, and then um, basically disconnected us from everything. So if you think about all the things, I mean, even the Gregorian calendar system, which we're using, is not attached to any lunar or solar event as old calendars used to be. So it's this completely arbitrary time cycle that's superimposed onto us, which disconnects us from natural cycles of being. Yeah. And then other stuff like, you know, the food we eat, Mm. which is not very natural anymore. Um what else uh scientific materialism i think that's completely cut us off from any idea of spiritual meaning um hell not even wearing shoes all the time because you know you're constantly insulated from yeah 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 connecting physically with the earth realm and then all these computer screens and social media and this uh I don't know, I feel this reaction against nature was from fear of like seeing nature as frightening because obviously people are getting attacked by saber-toothed tigers and shit like that. But now it's actually become... So we build all these insulated sort of city sort of sort of areas so we don't have to worry about nature and now we're... And I feel like most of the sicknesses which are coming around right now, like depression, anxiety, is from this sort of stuff. <clears throat> and that everyone's basically, I don't know, being cultivated like uh, some form of, you know... Uh, it's a nanny state. <laughs> yeah, turn into one of those podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's, so say there there is a parasite. Say that this this guy's theory is correct. That there is yeah. this parasite that's kind of like consuming us. Where does a parasite like that in their minds come from? Like, what's its agenda? If that's a thing, if it feeding exists, feeding off us. To do what though? Where does it come from? Like, well, what does it gain? Okay, well, the visions that I've received. <laughs> <laughs> from the plants? From the plants, um, <laughs> from ayahuasca and stuff like that. And it actually, um, 
It, and this was before I started reading it. This correlates with a lot of um, uh, literature, esoteric literature, across many different cultures. They have a similar story that basically this was supposed to be heaven on earth, but there was like some kind of interception and something happened on the way down. And so there's basically these parasites or this system that's interfering with humanity <laughs> um, and basically farming. It's like a cross between the Matrix and the Star Wars. <laughs> Wow. So there are like uh, interdimensional other things. Well, if you think of it in, uh, uh, in terms of ecology, there's ticks and leeches in our ecology, just like that, similar to okay. that. But okay. this, this idea is that there's actually the more sophisticated hierarchy and it is a purposeful sort of plot against humanity. But then there's another view that uh, this is basically like a Gnostic view of um, the co- cosmos, um, that this is a story that's been told for thousands of years but because it's been told for thousands of years by so many thousands of people that we've actually manifested it with our minds. Oh, yeah. So that's the second way of viewing it. I don't know what's true, but I've encountered uh, spiritual parasites. I had one pulled out of me recently. Uh, It was fucking horrible. (laughs) Yeah, I I had a sensation, again, um, while I was having ayahuasca, that, like, if I... I was uh, nervous that if I let go too much, if I... Because, like, I was aware that I, it was important to let go in a psychedelic yeah. experience and just let the healing happen. Whatever the fuck was going on, just let it happen. But I was aware at the time that if I let go too much, that something was going to come in. Like, I had this mm. sensation that something was going to, like, that I, I was capable of, like, allowing demons in. I had that thought. And then I didn't know. I was like, what the fuck? Am I just mental? Do I have that poor of self-esteem that I assume that I carry demons constantly that are going to come into the world? I'd say that most people are possessed on some level. <laughs> it's so Definitely. Fun. Definitely. Like, uh, the more work I've done with the plants, it's shown me how much of what I thought I was was not me at all and was just social programs. I mean, you don't have to view them as entities. You can view them as social programs. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, I guess I do a lot of, uh, I'm doing healing work at the moment to do with various medicines and uh, uh, it seems like everyone has the same shit. It's like everyone has a sense of low sense of self-worth. Everyone doesn't love themselves. Everyone's depressed and anxious. Why though? Like what? Because mm-hmm. if it's our natural state of being. I think it's an environmental illness personally. Really? Yeah. I think it's just from living in the matrix, living unfulfilling lives, working in jobs that have no connection to meaning and mm-hmm. are living disconnected from nature. Uh, in non-communal settings, hmm. isolated. Um, yeah, because you'll get them better again. All the plants will, and the, the frog medicine will get them better. And then uh, they'll come back and they'll have the... Uh, they'll come back and you're like, oh, it's because... Yeah, like if you're living with mold your in your house. Your disease is your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I got what you're saying. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, like you can cut a tumor out of somebody, but if they go back and eat sugar for three months, then the tumor's well, going to grow regardless. I think a lot of what I've been reading as well is like um, this guy, I haven't read his book, but my friend was telling me about it, but this guy was basically studying um, people who had impossible recoveries from like diseases, which you're not meant to recover from. And he identified the, the, the things which uh, all these people had in common. And one of them was that they had to leave their entire life behind. Damn. So it's like... Uh, their illnesses were attached to their idea of who they were, so they literally had to divorce their, like, leave their families, change completely different lives. My God. So they could be free of the illness, like the energetic form of the illness or the um, mental construct of the illness. 
Well, that's an odd thing because on one hand, I like it makes sense to me, obviously, if there's a toxic environment that you're in, it makes sense to leave it. But at the same time, a lot of illness comes from disconnection, right? And if you have, like, say, a positive relationship with your family, mm. but you need to leave that family behind, would that not cause you to feel more lonely, lost, and anxious? Or well, I don't know. Because, <laughs> well, I, I just in my, in my recent... Uh, Reading this, I've just read this fucking great book by a guy called Johan Hari, and it's a, a book about anxiety and depression. And the book is called Lost Connections, and his whole premise is really similar to what you're talking about, but essentially that we are so disconnected from ourselves, each other, things that yeah, matter yeah. to us, that that's what's causing this like just deep, unsettled discomfort in the inside of all of us, and that's what leads to addiction, leads to mm. chronic disease, illness, all this stuff. And yeah. in order for these people to kind of find their way back, it was to reestablish that connection. But most of these people that had like the really bad addictions or the really bad chronic diseases yeah, yeah. were people that had completely divorced themselves from anyone that cared about them. Okay. Or had yeah, lost yeah. that. So, But in the same token, though, I kind of get what you mean because – you know that feeling like when you go back with your family, if you haven't been around them for a while, mm -hmm. and you think you're this thing, I'm Nick's son, I yeah, do this, yeah, yeah. and then you go back with your family and you become the little brother again? Yeah, yeah, I know and, that. Uh, and it's so fucking it's, frustrating. I hate it. That's yeah. why I've actually made the vow this year to not go back to my parents' house. Really? Except to get my shit to move out. <laughs> and then if they want to hang out with me, I, I can't meet them in the house because there's just too many anchors in that house. I do not want to go back to that guy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was it was pretty severe. I was like, oh, I don't actually even want to... Because I just had Christmas and I was just like, fuck, I've become this guy again. And it was really hard to shake. And if I keep yeah. being that guy, it's the end of me. Well, and if, we, and if you look at it kind of from a neurochemical perspective, like that's your, that's your pathways. Yeah, that's pathways, yeah. That's how they were built pathways. for 18 years of your life. Yeah, so yeah. it's really hard to break them, huh? again and again and again. Damn. We've got to create whole new patterns and then be in those patterns for long enough to override the other patterns and eventually they fade away. Cause it's hard. Like when you start changing as a person, even people that know you well, even the people that want the best for you, if you start changing, you're kind of working on something else. People are fear that change. Well, yeah. Cause then that throws their identity in question. Yeah. Like if you could be somebody else, then who could, what's wrong with me or why am yeah. I not, you know, well, you got to lose those people. Damn. That's yeah, I that's a scary thought. That's a really lonely <laughs> well, thought. Well, no, the, the way it worked out was like, if you're just honest with who you are, then the people who stick by you, they they welcome that. They're like, great, fucking do that. Be that guy. But yeah. then the ones who, it, they just fall away. And there's just nothing. It's like, it, it's, it's cash, but it's like, well, either I stay dysfunctional and hang out with the same dysfunctional people or I just have to fucking, I'm sorry, it's, it's not you. It's just like, it's... Uh, Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sorry, I don't want to be dysfunctional anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. see you later. It's, it's, yeah, it's harsh, but, um, but you meet new people. Yeah. Uh, well, and there's an element to this too, like in order to rebuild a church, you have to tear down the old one. And yeah. so sometimes it's really hard for people to watch you go through the destruction phase. I love it. I'm addicted to it. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I can see that. I'm like this guy. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. I'm breaking See you, you later, down. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. My parents, um, I'm, I'm, my, I had one friend and my parents that stuck by me during that kind of period of time where I was up in Darwin where I kind of just self-imploded. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
He was, he's a really, he does a lot of spiritual work on himself. He's a meditation type of character and he's really, he's a writer. He's really open-minded and he just kind of like, and yeah, luckily was at a distance. I've never met him in real life. He lives in yeah. America. And so he, um, he would just kind of sit there and watch me, observe me, give, talk to me every once in a while to kind of keep that little tether of connection. Like, Hey, you're going through a thing. You're doing your stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. And when, now that we talk to each other now, he's just like, but he's the only person that was there, that one tether that remained the mm. whole time. And everybody else has come back around because it, it was, I needed to go away. I needed to disconnect. I need yeah, to disassociate. Yeah. And when I came back, the only trouble is that I think a lot of your close friends and people around you and your family worry that you're not coming back. Well. When you start going through shit like that. Like I mean, how, you never do come back. Yeah, I guess so. You come Why back. Why would you want to go back? <laughs> but I, I guess I mean, like. If, oh, that you go too far out. Yeah, you go too far out. That's a fucking risk. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that is definitely. a risk, man. But, um, but yeah, I guess that's a risk. I remember one night you said to me, don't let me go too far. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, don't put that on me, Nick. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to hold you back. I mean, I don't, because I'm... I kind of like to assume that I'm kind of that thing on the outside that's like, hey, go do your thing. I'm still going to be here. I can't wait yeah, to hear the yeah, story. Yeah. But then, because I don't know how far is too far. Yeah, well, neither did I. But I worked it out. <laughs> yeah. When, and, and that's the thing, too, is that like you can only tell if something's working for somebody by the, their general nature of being, the kind of environment they're living in, and the yeah, kind of people yeah. that they're... Um, like the, the impact they're having on the people around them. If you start... Mm. And my friend Iggy was talking about this uh, just last week in the podcast. He's like, if you've got a guide or a teacher and their life's falling apart, yeah, yeah. you don't need to yeah. listen to them. Do you know what I mean? No, and if no, no. you're going through this thing and you're fucking self-destructing chaos, don't bring anyone with you. Do your shit. Yeah, yeah. Find your way back or don't or whatever. Yeah. But if I can tell that like whatever it is you're working on, whether it seems totally fucking weird to me, if mm. you seem okay with it and you don't seem to be, you know, Looking to start a cult or whatever. Well, that's always a possibility. <laughs> what is a cult, right? Just a bunch of people who seem to wear the same clothes. <laughs> yeah. If you don't wear the same clothes, is it still a cult? I don't know. I'm not sure, yeah. I think that is one of the defining features. I mean, every religion has to start off as a cult, right? Yeah, probably. I, I like if so. you cult as like, you know, indie bands before they hit mainstream. <laughs> yeah, that, you know? well, yeah, well, that, that, that's exactly what it is, like rabid following for no good reason. Yeah, and then when they go mainstream, they become a religion, and everyone's like, oh, they sold out. Yeah, boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I liked it better when he, like, made me drink his cum. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be an old Christian practice. <laughs> really? I know. I've heard of a guy that still did it, that, that the only path to Jesus was through his semen. No, yeah, I was reading in this book, uh, those, I can't remember the exact details, but it was this cult of Christianity, because before it streamlined into, main, like, the main... Christianity we all know today, there's actually like a hundred different sort of permutations of Christianity. Okay. And some of them were all to do with like sacred, like orgies. And they had to have the secret handshake and ancient fucking, I don't know where it happened. So what is that about sexual energy? Because this is another interesting thing. Like in Western culture, we've been talking a lot about like this kind of parasite of Western culture or whatever. In that well, same... Western culture isn't a parasite, but there's a parasite running through it. Running through it. Okay. So, in that, I think there's a lot of sexual shame while sexual temptation is really rampant. Yeah. And, but, and so like Victoria Smith, the lady who does the self-pleasure circles that I did a little while ago, she was saying that 
your sexual energy is like your most powerful energy. Mm, definitely. And so if there is such a thing as a parasite that's trying to control us, that would be a really great way of fucking with us. It's taking well, our that's most- how they work. They basically attach themselves to certain chakra points, in my viewpoint, in my view. Like the one that I had was attached to my solar plexus chakra, which is your center of willpower. And so I had no willpower. And it was huh. an addiction one. So I was constantly eating food. So my digestive fires were always fucked, so I couldn't do anything. Yeah, huh. And so it paralyzes your will, so you just become this fucking, you know, slobby jellyfish. I'll do whatever everyone else is doing sort of thing. Yeah. And the same thing happens with, uh, I believe, like, uh, parasites do attach themselves to sex. Because that's a huge power source. They feed off us, so... So wherever the most power is going. God, yeah. that's a, it's such an interesting idea. Do you, have you read um, Breaking Open the Head by Daniel Pinchback? Yeah, Pinch yeah, Beck? yeah. Yeah, because I, I, it's funny. The, the more research you do into this stuff, it doesn't seem unusual to say, like, oh, yeah, there's these weird demons and parasites and stuff, because that's no. just kind of the language that is used in all ancient tradi- traditions, yeah, it's especially actually, it's in actually, South America. Yeah, well, it's, no, it's every culture. It's actually just only Western culture, which doesn't believe in any paradigm of spiritual realities. Wow. So actually, the Western scientific materialist is the, um, that's the odd man out. But the main way that it's fucked us over is because it's scientific. We think that it's the objective truth, but it's just another cultural viewpoint and purely pretty, huh. I mean, it's definitely very good for measuring things uh, that are observable, but um, it's just as subjective, I think, as other, other viewpoints. How, why has it become so strong? Like, why well, is it? I, th- I think it's just another thing with the mind, you know? It's a very mental way to view the world, and the mind runs on fear, right? You're always trying to predict everything out of fear mm. that something will go wrong. And so, yeah, it's just another mind, mind trap. Yeah, I guess it, it makes sense because it kind of neatly boxes everything in. Yeah, I mean, it's very useful for things, definitely. I mean, all these parasites are hard to get rid of because they also give you something in return that's very hard to let go of. Yeah. So it's a two-way... two-way um, Two-way exchange. Yeah, that's interesting, man. But, um, yeah, the sexual center, that's very powerful. <clears throat> that's where all your spiritual power is, and people can reach pretty insane spiritual states through sex alone. And a lot of these psychedelic medicines, a lot of these meditation practices, it's all just about connection. Like, if you're fully connected, you don't need anything, you know? Hmm. So I think a lot of these addictions come from lack of connection. And I was in the desert for a month with no technology, and I don't know what day it was after day three. And by the end of the month, I was very, I was just perceiving things, everything. I felt like I was on two grams of mushrooms permanently. Wow. Like everything was very vivid. I was very calm for the first time. There's no shit in my head constantly going, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. I was just totally relaxed. I could feel energy everywhere. And I was like, oh, this is what it must have felt like to be like in the dream time. And just like, I could be instead of constantly do. Yeah, yeah, and, the mind's and be always, a something. Yeah, and the mind's always trying to do stuff, but it's very... Western culture, you can never really be. This, the being is rare. Yeah, and if, if you, you are being, it's like you're being You're lazy, being. get a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Huh. So what, what was that trip all about? I remember you going on that. What, where did you go? Um, well, I just uh, decided that I wanted to go to the desert for a month, and there was these really cool anti-uranium activists... Uh, they run this event called Wakajura, Wakajura Walkabout, W-A-L-K-A-J-U-R-R-A. It's uh, every year, so you can actually go on their website and sign up, and it's super affordable. It's like 600 bucks for the whole month, but uh, they won't turn anyone away. And they um, work together with the local Aboriginal community, and... 
they you just walk the the area that they uh, these mining corporations want to set up a uranium mine, and then also they teach you about the song lines of the area and teach little things about the indigenous culture of that area. Uh. And you're just living like this communal sort of lifestyle in the middle of the desert for about a month. Wow, how many people went with you? Uh, there's probably about 30 uh, hardcore people who were there for the whole month and maybe another 20, 30 people would come for little bits here and there. Yeah, where was it? Uh, the Northwest Goldfield, so that's like um, maybe 8, 10 hour drive north of Perth. Probably uh, more than that actually. What, like Kalgoorlie area? Oh, it was like, I think it was 10 hours north of Kalgoorlie. 8 to 10 hours north of Calgary. It's like in the middle of nowhere. Like we saw one yeah. hill. We saw wow. one hill the whole month. How amazing is the desert, man? This oh, country is so fucking beautiful. Exactly. It's ridiculous. It is. It was amazing. Like I've never seen weather like that before. Like you could see whole storms. We got caught in a storm and it was just really dramatic and just, yeah, it was, it was just, it was just, it was magical. Were you camping every night? Yeah. Camping every night. Yeah. Yeah. And we, ah. had, uh, we didn't have a shower for the first two weeks. Yeah. We had like four showers. <laughs> yeah, I was still a city boy in that respect. I was just like, I tried having wet wipe showers, but that's just not, that's even grosser because then you're all sticky and shit. Yeah, ew. So yeah, you kind of just sweet. reach this level of being you comfortable. Know, comfortable with your filth. Yeah. Um, Did you notice anyone else's filth? Like, were you kind of like, all right. No, nah, things get pretty raw in the desert. Like, no one cares anymore. And, you know. By the end, all we're eating was like lentils and rice so, and cabbage. So, yuck. No, you know, there's no pretension anymore. You're like, oh, we're just like filthy cavemen now. But yeah, we're just animals. I quite like that actually. It was, it was less to worry about. Yeah, man, that's incredible. What a cool thing. What month of the year do they go? Um, I think it's like August. Okay. Huh. So if you guys want to spend a month in the desert for uh, I'm th- a good I'm, cause, I'll do it. It's the best. I can't, I can't. This year we're going to Thailand in August, but I just, as you're talking about that, that would be so, like, it's not my style. That's definitely something I'd never even consider doing, but it just sounds so interesting. To- oh, it's awesome. Well, the thing is just walking maybe 20Ks a day, not every day, but I'd say five out of seven days. Yeah. And wow, it's just uh, a lot of time to process stuff. So I actually had pretty deep, like, healing in a way just from because there's nothing to do yeah yeah uh, except just to sit there and and let your mind clear itself of all the accumulated shit so yeah even even the indigenous mob they're like you know the best medicine is just being on the country being on country yeah and i agree with them yeah i can i totally feel that man when i was like in my most grossest fucked up states when i was living up in darwin i was working in the mines and so i'd fly out to the middle middle of the northern territories where i was working yeah. on this really remote mine. It was like 100 Ks outside of Darwin, so just nothing anywhere yeah. in the Tanami Desert for nothing for thousands of miles except for that camp. Wow. And it was, um, besides the fact that I was destroying the earth and working for a giant mining corporation, just like waking up in the morning and seeing the sunrise over the desert and just, I, I had a half an hour bus ride out to the site and back every day. Mm. And there's something, it's indescribable. There is something yeah. in that desert and just the way it felt just like sitting out there in nothingness in that. Uh, well, the energy is very pure and there's no human interference at all. Mm. No electromagnetic frequencies. Yeah, except for we had a bunch of Wi-Fi towers okay, and well, bullshit, probably. Wi-Fi towers. <laughs> I had um, my, like, I w- was going through a, a super weird, um, because obviously feeling totally disconnected from my life and abusing drugs and alcohol as much as I possibly could yeah. when I was in Darwin. And then I'd come back to the site and kind of go through withdrawals for a week, which withdrawals themselves were at, like, kind of 
it was almost like I became addicted to the withdrawals in a, in a way because I'd have I've like this overindulgence to the point where I kind of knew I deserved it. So I'd go, I'd oh, okay, be in the yeah. mine and then I'd just be like, Bleh, and I'd be like, oh, fucking all this is coming out of me. I'm, you know, just like this, this purging of the gross shit that I did, all the shame, everything that I deserved. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting. And it, like, so then I'd finish my with, withdrawals and you come out of it feeling like a million bucks. Like yeah, I would yeah. feel so good. And then, so I'd go to Darwin and feeling great and just yep, get yep. hammered and fucked up again and then go through it all over. But on those days where I was having those withdrawals, I was, go- I was um, reading a lot of books about astral projection and astral travel in mm. my sleep and lucid dreaming. So I was experimenting with that. And because I think I put it down to being in the desert because I've never been able to lucid dream like that yeah, anywhere yeah. else. But when I was out in the desert like that, I was having like fucking crazy lucid dreams where I I could go through like one of them. I came out of my body, my my soul consciousness, whatever the thing was, came out of my feet and went out towards the door of the mine. Um, of my donga, like of my little mining room. And I remember looking at the gray wall of the door and I was like, oh, I'm free. And then my head was like, well, where do you want to go? And I was like, anywhere but here. And so I went zooming towards this gray door and then all of a sudden I just exploded into a billion nothingness. Like I just shattered into bits and I was just static. And then all of a sudden I realized that I couldn't go anywhere because I had exploded into nothingness and I just was like hung in infinite... Uh, purgatory kind of I was just like okay because I I like disembodied myself so much I was just like anywhere but here and then they were like okay it was almost like it had a sense of humor were you smoking a lot of meth at that time yeah I was (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't smoking it but yeah yeah there was a lot of meth in my system (laughs) alright okay (laughs) you should try that 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 thing without the meth, maybe maybe you you wouldn't. Yeah, I think it. I'd probably do a lot better yeah, with yeah. it. But it was that feeling. It was like it was almost like there was a sense of humor about it. It was like, oh yeah, you want to see anywhere but here? This is nothingness. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was really interesting. And then and then I kind of like panicked and woke up. And then I came back. And then another one. I went through the floor and into like the center of the earth into this like pink lake, this like pink liquid. And it um. It just unbelievable, like those kind of dreams where you wake up after it and the dream was more real than your mm. real life, even though it was totally fucked. You should try to get some mugwort. What's mugwort? Mugwort's like a dreaming herb. I tried it last night, actually. Um, and you just get some of the herb. If you can get a fresh plant. I can actually give you some today when you give me a lift back. Yeah, cool. And you just leave it near your head where you sleep. And some people say it's the smell of the plant, but I think it's something to do with the spirit. It's a dreaming herb. It's an old witch's herb. And for some reason, it seems to influence your dreams and make them very vivid, very, very symbolic. Cool. So I did it last night and basically um, got messages to deliver to two people wow. that I hadn't even thought about for ages ago. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like the guy that sent me a dick pic recently. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Out of nowhere? He's like, hey. Well, it's funny because like, <laughs> what I got told to ask my friend was like, what are your emotional needs? So maybe you can send that message to that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's missing? <laughs> what are you trying to say to me right now? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, that's interesting, man. So yeah, there's, well, there's a lot in the olfactory system, our little brain mm. uh, brain well, you can do the blue connection. cheese experiment as well. What's that? You just eat blue cheese and then it influences your dreams. I hate, I don't like the flavor. Oh, really? Yeah, but I'd, you know, I'd get over the flavor if I there's knew other, it was There's other dream hopes you can take. I used to take something. They call them. What was it? There was something that I used to try and take, but it ended up giving, like, just giving me restless sleep. I had a little trouble sleeping, so I couldn't. It was like African dream hubs and uh, Mexican dream hubs. Wow. 
okay. uh, that you take specifically to get prophetic dreams from. What do you think? Um, what do you think is going on in a dream? Um, I don't know. I think sometimes it's just processing shit. Other times, um, depending on who you are, I, I've heard friends who have prophetic dreams more often. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. There. Uh, I, I, sometimes I get. To, I just feel like the messages from my subconscious really. Yeah, and it's up to your. It, it's kind of like if something resonates with your head, then it probably yeah. it needs to you know be addressed. You know the meaningful dreams. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Carl Young, um, not Carl Young, sorry. Um, Freud wrote a book about this called The Interpretation of Dreams. It's been pretty much like null and void now. Nobody really yeah, yeah. believes in what he said about it. But his thing was that, yeah, like you're processing the things that happened the day before. And Carl Jung took that his philosophy on it and attached it to his idea of the archetypes. You know how oh, we yeah. have these archetypes that kind of flow through our mm. bodies. And he attached it to that. And then he was like, anything that kind of, uh, you take this dream, you can interpret the dream in terms of a myth, in terms of like human mythology, yeah. so that you can attach it to an archetype. And then you can see where this person feels about their state of being. Okay. So like if in the dream, they are the dragon being slayed by the hero, that's how they feel about their present situation, powerless in, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. In, or whatever. Because yeah, yeah. like we all have every culture across the board, every single human being has the archetype of the hero, you yeah, know, yeah. the beast being slain by the dragon. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. If, they, if in the dream they're the opposite, they're the hero actually slaying the dragon, then that's some kind of relevant position, yeah, how yeah. they feel about yeah. what's happening to them. I think that's kind of, that's a little bit more universal, interesting way yeah. of looking at dreams. I very rarely have those kinds of archetypal dreams though. Yeah, my well, well, not that I remember. I don't know. I think the keys to remember the dreams, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, you used to be a comedian for 13 years, and I was curious to know, like, because you're, I've watched you do comedy, and you're, yeah. and I said this to you in the car, like, you have this, you possess a, Magic talent in the way that some people can sing when they're born. Mm. They just like come out and they can sing and it's incredible. And no one can deny that that person's an incredible singer. You strike me that way sometimes on stage. I've seen you're in the unique position of being the best comedian I've ever seen and also the worst comedian I've ever seen. Proudly uh, claim that title. It's amazing. Like there's something in you that has, you have this. I'll go back. Will you? Well, I don't know. I've. What do I've you got think? a feeling I'll go back eventually, but on my terms. I just don't want to have to fucking schlep around to shitty gigs and play to drunk people all the time and deal with club bookers and all that sort of crap. So I'm switching formats more because it's just not practical to reach you know that amount of people. Yeah. Like 20, 50 people at a time and then negotiating showbiz, which I feel is like a demonic... Uh, it's a industry. fucking tough world to navigate. So, yeah. Well, and there's so, so many variables. Like stand-up in particular, there's so many variables. Yeah, I got pretty night. frustrated with it. Like you're slaving over a fucking joke that lasts 20 seconds for five months and then it's not funny six months later. You're like, oh, fucking fuck you, comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got really angry at comedy, actually. Yeah, you did seem like that's what kind of... And, but that was also your persona, too, for a lot of your yeah, first Yeah, that was the problem. Of, but I realized my persona was started not fitting who I was, so I started having, like, identity crises on stage. 
Sure. And then, then also the persona who I was on stage had a lot of mental problems and a lot of um, physical and mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. So that's why I stopped really because I didn't want to have to um, be that guy anymore because it was just a really painful existence. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. So I don't want to go back out of the fear that I'll become that guy again. Yeah. So I, th- I feel like I have to um, get into a strong enough area place of being where I'm not going to head back to that. What do you think is it that makes good comedy good? Like when you feel like you're on, you know, when you're in that kind of magic state. I think being um, in a state of no mind, um, being in the present moment mm. and uh, not giving a shit, but giving a shit subconsciously enough to be good. Yeah. 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 Like not giving a shit enough to not connect. Yeah. But being out of the mind, the best yeah. gigs, you don't remember what the hell happened. Yeah, yeah, I uh, bet. Just I in the moment. And so, yeah, that's what I reckon. I think that's a universal thing that all humans can kind of feel or notice. You know, like what I was saying, you, you look like you're like you've got this magic thing about you that happens. But that I think that almost everybody and, and in that the two times I've seen you do this, everyone in the crowd was in agreement. Pretty, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, there's a vibe about it that's like, holy shit, this guy is just fucking killing it right now. Yeah, Don't yeah. know what's happening. Nobody knows what's happening because it's really unique the way you do it, too. It's just, like, explosive. Yeah. And, and I think that you exactly, like, nailed it right then. It's like you're not even there. Yeah, it's not yeah. Nick Sun talking. And that's kind of the tough part about comedy or about show business in general is that you have to be Nick Sun, the, the character that does that. Well, I don't and know. And it almost doesn't really work. I think maybe in the traditional way, but I'm starting to think that there are other ways to do it as well. Yeah, but cool. But I think um, I think it helps to be uh, highly suggestible as a person because it seems like you're easier easier to get into a trance state. Like I'm very easily hypnotized, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder if that has something to do with it. But I guess it's getting into these sort of uh, non ordinary states of non ordinary states of consciousness. Yeah, and you're pretty comfortable with that, I guess, going through all the psychedelic shit you've done. Um, I don't want to sound cocky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done a lot of it. I mean, you've probably done more psychedelics than I think any human I have ever met. No, I've met other people who've done way more than me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And who are very functional people. Wow. So, um, yeah, maybe I'm middling. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. I play the field. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> being comfortable. There's a phrase in, in Muay Thai that they say uh, you have to be comfortable being in the... Uh, ha- get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that's where my gigs would either be really good or really bad. The bad gigs were when my mind took over and I gave into my demons and all the voices like, yeah, you're shitting me, they don't like you. And so that's what was the killer. Yeah. And then then that was just, but I was too much in my head. So I'm interested to see how I'd go like further down the healing path. How do you get out of your head? Um, Body stuff. And how does that specifically like... Well, I'm doing Qigong right now, which is really amazing stuff because it's basically like moving meditation and you're moving as slowly as possible from your Dantian, which is like this uh, energy center below your navel. Okay. Um, And so you're not moving like your your mind's going, move arm now, left leg there. It's like moving from a more instinctive area. Mm. And so you're moving really slowly and you're like feeling every sort of movement and their specific uh, exercises have been structured in very strange symmetrical ways to like open up various pathways, muscle areas, um, 
and so you can, and they're also directing you to feel internal energy flowing through your body. Okay. And so what you're doing is actually trying to habituate your body to redistribute your energy away from your head and a more even distribution around your entire body. Huh. And especially around your central power center, which is like your instinctive. You like know, your gut. Your gut, your sort of uh, sex chakra, that mm. sort of stuff. So I think that's pretty useful. Um, you can do plant and animal medicines that will pull you out of your head into your body or force you to confront your mind until it explodes into a billion pieces. Um, but it can also backfire as well. It can also amplify the mind a lot and inflame it depending yeah. on the medicines and depending where you're at. Yeah, that's a tough thing. Like, um, I mean, if we talk about like weed specifically, it's probably the gentlest, but the one that's most common that most most people, if they, anyone was listening to this, would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But like the idea when people smoke weed and they go, I don't like smoking weed because it makes me feel paranoid. Mm. Is that, would you say that's a magnification of the mind in a way? Or um, I don't know about weed paranoia. I mean, I feel like maybe it's amplifying my, one of my theories on one of the reasons why people get anxiety is it's just trapped fear. So in the Chinese medical system, if I'm correct, uh, a lot of unexpressed emotions stay somewhere in your body and they get trapped there. And from the work I've done with Camo, Mm. the frog medicine, I've seen people release fear or anger or deeply held emotions, um, and just go through them. Huh. So I feel like maybe the weed is working on residual fear that's trapped in your system or bringing your attention to it. And do you think that's healing it or do you think it's solidifying uh, it? No, I don't think it's healing it. Yeah. Well, maybe it is if you're able to get it out. Okay. But if, if, you, if people are smoking with the intention to getting high and then they get paranoid, that's not what your outcome is. So a lot of the time they just resist it and freak out and just try and numb it away by something. Yeah. Yeah, going but, to sleep, watch a dumb movie, mm, or something like that. But I, I used to be very stuck in my head, and that was my only escape was the weed. Yeah, and that would pull me out of my head and out of my body into my body, and then you'll see that with a lot of addictions actually come from the, from the head. I think. Yeah, Just I a, agree, a way, man. Way to get out of your fucking the monkey mind. Machiwawa, mm. they call it in Peru. Machiwawa. <laughs> Machiwawa. Yeah, fuck, it feels like that, man. Mm. And I think that's why I've, I've always been drawn to weed, too, myself, because it's mm. like it just, yeah. That, you try camper. <laughs> I know. I can see it really help you. Really? I'm scared yeah. of it, man. Don't be scared, it's fine. What's it like again? What's camber? Uh, camber is this Amazonian um, frog called Phylomedusa bicola, uh, and it's a skin secretion from this frog. And so people like, there's two stories of how it was discovered. One was there was this shaman called Kampu, and his village was very sick, and there was nothing he could do to help it. So he drank ayahuasca one night, sent out a prayer, and the ayahuasca guided him to this frog and showed him how to put it on. And so the way we administrate it is that we burn uh, very shallow gates, what we call them, onto your skin. And um, it's very... It's just the first layer of skin. It doesn't really hurt that much. And then um, you sort of uh, moisten up the... Um, skin secretion you mix it up into little points like little balls lentil sized balls and then you put it on your points and people can have anywhere between three to um 23 points depending on how tolerant you are i found people who are on uh, psychiatric medication antidepressants seem to have to take a lot of um, points i think because it seems to demonstrate um how much the medication's masking their feelings or sensations to their body Whoa. And then what your body goes through is this sort of intensified process of cleansing. So it seems to, um, in the in the jungle, they use it to heal all the sort of fungal, bacterial, 
um, and um, viral infections that you get in a jungle environment, but they also use it to clear what they call panima, which is negative energy or little translation is bad luck. Yeah, okay. And so uh, it's being used now to treat a whole bunch of Western um, illnesses that don't respond to Western treatments, so stuff like anxiety, depression. Um, and what I feel is one of its actions is it puts you in contact with your body just yeah, through okay. sheer ordeal. It's a worry medicine, so they use it before going hunting because it also sharpens your senses, and the next day you feel quite clear. Huh. And it just gives you a full physical, emotional sort of purge. You have to drink maybe two liters of water before the process, and then we put the points on, your blood pressure rises, you start having quite a pounding heart, but it's about the equivalent to jogging. Um, and it's really amazing a compound medicine. So they found vasodilated stuff, which um, equalizes blood pressure, stuff that uh, reboots the immune system, uh, stuff that uh, um, treats uh, tumor cells, stuff that uh, they found a couple of... Um, they're not technically opiates, but they plug into your opioid receptors, so they actually are more effective. They're 40 times more powerful than morphine without the addictive potential because all these chemicals are bioactive peptides, which means that your body recognizes them as their own. Whoa. So why that's on the back of a frog, they don't really know. Wow. But, um, yeah, it's a really amazing medicine. So, And I find it's very useful for people who are disconnected from their body or yeah. are suffering from illnesses, which to do with disconnection from the body. Huh. Yeah. And um, what kind of, what's the experiences generally like? Um, well, I wouldn't say it's very psychedelic. I'd say it's almost anti-psychedelic. If someone's taken a lot of psychedelics and they're really scattered and up in the air, you actually, I'd use this to ground them. Huh, okay. Um, to bring them back. Um, but the experience is usually, um, there's no real typical experience. People can still have kind of spiritual experiences from it. People can go traveling, um, go on like journeys. I had a woman who... I've seen a couple of exorcisms from it, like people getting clearing themselves of what seems to be negative presences from their bodies. Some um, lady was basically going through a pretty powerful uh, exorcism, and she said she saw these little brown humanoid figures like leaving her body and just turning around and like looking at her angrily. <laughs> um, I had a guy who lost his complete, um, who uh, was shown all uh, how selfish he'd been recently oh, wow. it's a heart medicine so they reckon it also opens up your heart um, chakra and teaches it how to flow better and it wow. also attracts good fortune which I believe is just because you're in a better elevated state then you attract good things okay yeah yeah so and it, it um, so you're present you're not like tripping you're not no I mean some people also will be clearing a lot of negative emotions I've had people you know screaming their heads off uh, wow. One of my experiences was me just clearing a lot of deeply held anger that I hadn't voiced. That was from my childhood. I, I had my maybe around my second experience, I got taken back to the playground and shown some things there of what happened, and I was clearing some childhood stuff. Um, uh, people clearing a lot of fear, a lot of shaking sometimes, uh, clearing a lot of uh, microfascial tension, I believe. Or I read this interesting article uh, called Why Zebras Don't Experience PTSD. And it's this whole article about when a zebra gets chased by a lion, um, afterwards they'll go somewhere and they'll just shake. And that's actually clearing all the trauma, you know, all the, all the wow. trapped energy. <laughs> oh, my and God. So we don't do that. We lost that ability. And so I've seen a lot of people in the camp of experience actually start shaking uncontrollably. And I feel like it's releasing some kind of negative emotion from their, from their um, bodies and clearing that. And you feel very light afterwards and very clear. Wow. There's not so much noise in your head. And how long does it last for? It lasts for about an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
about an wow. hour. Yeah. And then you're in maybe in this sort of sleepy state for maybe an hour and two hours. People usually sleep and nap, and that's when you have a bit of a – you might have some kind of insights come to you. Mm. Um, for my training, we had to do it three times in three hours. That's the, uh, the warrior initiation, which 12-year-old boys in the Amazon do for their initiation. And so um, – I, my intention was like, how come I keep ending up with the same kinds of girls which aren't good for me, like these destructive relationships? Yeah. And so I ended up talking to the frog spirit, and he said very sharply, he doesn't say many words, he goes, because you treat love like a drug, and that's not love. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck, that's just another addictive pattern that I'm stuck in. That's not love at all. I've got addicted yeah. to the fucking candy store presentation of love. It's a transaction. Yeah, well, so I think much. it's this big thing which you get from romantic comedies and pop music that that sells well it love feels as a good item. man it feels good to yeah. be loved you know and, it, and oh, well, I, if it's if it's real love it i think sometimes things get mistaken as love and really it's just this kind of um druggy sort of euphoria well it, yeah it's an odd thing it's like what is that validation you know like you look at someone they look at you you smile at each other you have a little laugh someone wants to touch you all of a sudden you just get flooded with this like i'm okay Feeling. Yeah, and it's an well, odd thing because that like that is a nice feeling to have. It's a great feeling. Uh, yeah. Well, from what I can gather, it's uh, when you're making love, uh, you're losing your sense of self, you know, and you're reconnecting mm. to the cosmic divine. And that's again that taps back into that whole idea of sexual energy being a very potent power source and tantra and all that sort of stuff. Well, sex tantra. So if you were like more connected to your life and yourself and your body, you probably wouldn't be so addicted to getting that feeling through sex. Um, well, yeah, probably. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. I think if you were making love, that's fine. But I heard this interesting idea from this spiritual teacher called Barry Long where he goes, um, he reckons that sex without love is Luciferian and that if you really want to make love, you should place your penis inside a woman's vagina when it's limp. Really? And then... If you guys actually have a proper connection, you should you shouldn't even have to do anything. It should just happen naturally. But how would you get that far without getting a hard on though? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Because you know what I mean. By the time someone tablets, <laughs> <laughs> by the time you're naked with someone, I imagine you probably already have a boner. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe be... you have to like like imagine watch just cricket while you're fucking <laughs> just trying to play. stick it in there. Like it'd be so hard. Just as soon as it, you feel like all hot and moist, you just immediately get hard. I imagine that'd be really tough. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. if you hated her. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's love. <laughs> I hate fuck. <laughs> Good solid hate fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, we've been talking for an hour. That was Oh, a, really? Yeah. It's uh, amazing how fast that goes, doesn't it? It goes really fast, yeah, yeah. That's a great conversation, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so really, I mean, I guess if I can kind of summarize what you're basically saying here is that getting trapped up inside your mind and being disconnected from your body, the earth, your what spirit. you're trying to do, your spirit, is what's leading us to kind of constant addictions, disconnection, scared, yeah, well, loneliness. Well, yeah, when you're disconnected from earth and spirit, um, you're leaving yourself open to possession and manipulation by outside forces. Because you don't have a solid constitution? Because you don't know who you are. You have no sovereign being. So I yeah, feel like wow. there's been a definite... Um, systematic eradication of indigenous knowledge and all these guys they all knew how to connect to spirit and they can connect to earth and when you do that you know who you are you know where you stand mm. and when you don't you're liable to be manipulated by 
whatever know, it is. Hey, let's go watch video hits for 12 hours because I don't know who I am and I don't know what I'm doing mm. in my life. Yeah. And it's a lonely feeling. That I don't like that feeling like not understanding where my ideas are coming from or if I'm just absorbing shit around me and I don't feel like... <sighs> Yeah, I, it's, there's something really nice about just sitting down and reading a book and then think, digesting it and yeah. having thoughts and then going back and reading. Or like I've been watching this series, I keep talking about it constantly, Black Mirror. Oh, yeah. It's the, this Netflix series. And it's really nice because I, like, I, I typically try to avoid watching Netflix in general because, one, I feel like I don't have enough time in my life to be doing anything, yeah. let alone sitting there just watching TV mindlessly. The second thing is that I have this kind of addicted tendency when I feel lonely and disconnected to just sit there and fucking watch shit. Mm. And I know that these programs are designed to make you want to watch more and more and yeah, more of yeah, them. And I just don't want to sit there and be addicted to them. So I've kind of avoided it. But everyone's talking about this thing, Black Mary, I have to watch it. So I watched it and it's like I can watch one episode of it and then sit there and think about it for three days. Uh, yeah. You know, you can't, you don't need to watch another one. Like it feels like having a good meal. Like you just sit there afterward and you're like, yeah, I find that series pretty pessimistic though. Yeah, it's pessimistic, but but so not maybe, necessarily in a psychological way. Okay. I because I I guess my my whole I agree about the, like it's definitely pessimistic about technology and about the yeah human. yeah I don't know I, I watched three episodes in a row and I was like all right I get it we're fucked you know <laughs> okay I feel bad you know so <laughs> what is where's the solutions you know so, yeah there's that but but uh, I think like the expl I think there like if you look at it from a psychological perspective, the, the malleability of the mind is amazing. And watching your own mind's journey while you're being empathizing with the character and then, then it gets switched on you and then it changes and you're kind of like, I, I like watching it. I, I guess it's almost like I like watching myself watch this journey happen and see all the different changes that happen to me while I'm trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Okay. And it's, uh, it's just, a, it's such a cool experiment. Like, it's mm-hmm. really cool to watch. And I, I think most people that I know that really enjoy this, and probably maybe you're just fucked, is, like, they're really empathetic people. So you're, like, oh, okay. really, like, inside this character feeling like, oh, fuck, what would that be like? Oh, God, what would that be like? Yeah, yeah. And by the end of it, you're like, you've been in a roller coaster pretty much. Like, you've yeah, got yeah. to feel all these ups and downs of that emotion as that character and then think about, like, yeah. fuck, what would that be like as a me? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's, you know... Goal of television, right? Or or good good TV. Yeah, good TV, like a good movie that you just can't even remember that you just watched it. You're just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, yeah. Where did my life just go? But that's me with everything, man. And I think that's that, like you were saying about being on stage, like when you do something really well, you're not there for it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. you leave yourself open to the, um, unless I'm going to hire functioning... Mm. Mm. It could, because your brain it, it kind of consists of self-protection and doubt most of the time your mind is well your mind I think consists of that self-protection and doubt huh. but I think your I think the brain is actually a receiver of consciousness or a transmitter so if you can get past oh, yeah. that then you're receiving stuff from outside of yourself okay that's my theory yeah like the the higher version of yourself yeah the higher version of yourself and um, if you could summarize it in a couple two words <laughs> and a couple like uh general tactics like if somebody's listening to this and they were like fucking yeah that sounds right i'm stuck in my head yeah you talked about qigong a little bit but like just general like do you have like a general practice that somebody would be able to do if they like if they get stuck in their head if they're a- uh get hit by a car yeah <laughs> that'll remind you you have a body <laughs> yeah um uh Hmm, I found that certain um, 
certain foods will inflame your mind. Don't drink caffeine. Don't eat sugar. Mm-hmm. Get off sugar. Um, don't do things which involve your head a lot. <laughs> Get outside. Yeah. Just feel your body. How about that? Just feel your body. Like that's yeah, well, really what I'm trying to train myself to do now. Because mm. every time I get stuck and wrapped up in my head, just pulling myself into the sensations of my body. And like, if you're feeling lonely, go into that feeling. Go. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, discomfort comes from you resisting these, experiencing these states. So yeah, it's okay. like, I'm learning now. Like I had a headache the other day and I was just like, fuck, this is driving me crazy. I didn't want to take any drugs. So I was like wrestling it. And then I was like, oh, how about I just go into the headache? So I went into the pain and then I chased it around my brain for like, maybe five minutes it moved here and then there and then it just evaporated wow so i was like what the fuck was that yeah so i don't know i think just feel yeah <laughs> that's inside, that. one word feel. feel huh yeah that's cool man yeah even if it's unpleasant yeah and almost especially if it's unpleasant especially if it's unpleasant eventually yeah. it'll fade i mean sometimes it takes a really long time it's fucked but uh yeah feel man <laughs> just feel man <laughs> just ah. feel that's fucking awesome talking to you, man. I'm really happy to see you back here. It's nice to see you again. It's always nice to be in the Gold Coast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you, if people want to find more about what you're doing, how do people get in touch with you? You can um, find me on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> Nick Sun. Yeah. Um, I got a blog on Medium, uh, Nick Sun. And I'm going to start a podcast soon. Yeah, you are. Um, it would be great. So I don't have the details of that yet. But first things first, I've got to find somewhere to live. Oh, yeah. There you but go. But I think I found a place. Up around here? No, Blue Mountains. Oh, good shit. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll have all the links to all that on here so anybody can find you. And thank you again so much for coming. Yeah, no worries, Lorna. Hello again. That was Nick's son. If you would like to see more of what Nick does and uh, all of the wacky stuff that he gets up to, you can follow his Facebook page, which is just Nick's son. And you can also find him on YouTube. Uh, a lot of his old comedy is up there on YouTube. And that is just Nick son on YouTube. I'll have the links to everything on my website. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. And I will talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.